Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. You're joining us today on a a nice chilly night. All of my hands and feet and other extremities are very, very chilly. Well, we have to turn the heater off in order to record because it's old and very loud. It's so loud. We would be sitting here being like, ha ha ha, teen girl, and you just hear... Yeah, and that's terrible, and no one wants that, and we're freezing ourselves because we love you so much and care about your sound quality i mean i'm feeling pretty okay but i don't get as cold as you (laughs) you don't have a bad circulatory system or a uterus where your body's like we might put a baby in here we need to put all the heat here yeah but also i've got really long limbs so like my fingers and toes are far away from my core that's true and yet your hands will be a nice heater and i'm just like I'm human ice. Isn't that fun how that works? <laughs> it's bananas. <laughs> anyway, if you, this is your first time listening, my name is BJ Colangelo. I am one of your hosts here. And across from me in the beautiful pink bedroom, as always, is... Harmony Colangelo. So is your name BJ like the town in Alaska? Uh, No, it's uh, actually the, um, the membership-only wholesale... Uh, Grocery store? Is Zeus married to it? No. Oh. Zeus probably fucked a BJ, though. Zeus fucked everything. Yeah, Zeus fucked everything. Probably (laughs) fucked a BJ. Definitely got some BJs. That's for real, Zeus. I'm sure he did. (laughs) And I'm sure there were many fancy pots depicting it. Uh, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And there's probably like a couple Tumblr like roleplay accounts dedicated to it as well. Oh, I'm sure. But hey, are you getting the clues of what we're talking about in case you didn't read the title for some reason? We're not doing Greek mythology or Alaska. No, no, we're not. We are doing uh, one of both of our favorite movies of all time. We figured we would end the year on something that we both loved. And we are talking about 2007's Juno. Now, there it is. That little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no Etch-a-Sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. This feels like a good movie to end the year on because this was one of my favorite movies of high school. And it's like, you know, new beginnings and it takes place basically over the course of a year and stuff. So it felt thematically appropriate. Agreed. So uh, let's read from our friends over at Fandango. Our Fandango's what they have to say about Juno. Oh, God. Juno McGuff... 
uh, Elliot Page, not updated yet, Fandango, get your shit together, <laughs> is a whip-smart teen confronting an unplanned pregnancy by her classmate, Bleeker. Um, I will stop and just say, anytime we are talking about Juno McGuff, we will be using she, her pronouns, because Juno as a character is is a woman. Um, anytime we're talking about the specific performance by Elliot Page, we will be using he, they, as that. Those, those are their pronouns. So again... Uh, by her classmate Bleeker, Michael Sarah. With the help of her best friend Leah, Olivia Thurby, Juno finds her unborn child a perfect set of parents, an affluent suburban couple, Mark and Vanessa, played by Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner, longing to adopt. Luckily, Juno has the total support of her parents, J.K. Simmons and Allison Janney, as she faces some touch, touch, tough decisions, flirts with adulthood, and ultimately figures out where she belongs. That's pretty accurate. It's also longer. Is it that is, the longest one we've gotten? That's from one of the longer ones, and I think it's also because they they really wanted to include all of the big names yeah, in probably. that in that descriptor. Yeah. So Harmony, you mentioned that Juno was one of your favorite movies in high school. So I'm curious about your introduction to Juno. What drew you to this film? What do you remember about it? All of the above, anything. So here's the weird thing: is I don't remember how I came to this movie. We were trying to okay. Think- we were trying to figure it out when we were watching it this most recent time because I'm just sitting there going, so Harmony, where did you find this? Like, how did you encounter this film when it came out? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. You just remember that you saw it and you loved it? I don't know. There was maybe like something about maybe the ads on TV or maybe there was like some TV spots on whatever channel I was watching at the time. Mm-hmm. You were saying MTV ran ads for it all the time, but mm-hmm. I didn't really watch a lot of MTV, so I don't know if that was the case. Mm-hmm. But... Something about this made me go, oh, I want to watch this. And then I did and went like, yeah, I fucking love this movie. It was fucking great. <laughs> my introduction was at the hands of my best friend. Shout out, Elspeth O'Brien. We've been friends since uh, freshman year of high school and still my ride or die till this day. But Elspeth was one of the people who used to introduce me to new music um, when I was in high school. And some of her favorite music is this very twee indie folk stuff that uh they they play throughout juno Mm -hmm. so this was this was definitely a movie that we we had to watch because the soundtrack was so fucking good and we watched it and definitely just fell in love with it because it's such a great film i mean it's still one of my favorite soundtracks in any movie oh yeah it's it's great but i do want to ask uh as a you know recovering scene kid <laughs> was was the in was the venn diagram where you intersected was it pretty much consisting entirely of never shout never um so okay we've talked about this off mic which is weird never shout never it was like a very strange thing for us growing up because uh a kid we went to high school with nathan ellison uh drummed for never shout never for a brief period of time like like on tours and i think a couple albums like i know the stuff they did for like the alice in wonderland soundtrack mm-hmm. he plays drums on it so it's just weird i guess i don't know <laughs> but uh, it's very strange because elspeth and i were definitely like the scene kid and the indie kid and there was definitely crossover like there would be crossover with like the blood brothers like just whack-ass music <laughs> sure. or like mindless self-indulgence we both really loved but then like our best friend song is uh the song pollen by mira which is like this very twee cute sort of indie darling little jam well i mean that makes sense especially because uh 
we're coming right off of what was Christmas. And whenever mm-hmm. you sing any like Christmas standards and you're not doing like some chesty, like busty, surly voice for it, it's always like the twee coffee shop musician voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that was how I learned I learned how to sing outside of you know, traditional Broadway by singing things like Isley. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where my voice comes from. And also now, because anytime I sing outside of that voice, it ends up sounding like just over enunciated and very weird. And I don't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, make, that makes sense. Yeah. I, no, nobody likes singers who enunciate clearly. I, I mean, clearly not because Ariana Grande has a, a great career and she does not <laughs> enunciate at all. No. Oh, no. <laughs> That's only my only complaint that I ever have with her. I'm like, you have such a range and you are just throwing it away on your inability to enunciate. <laughs> well, Ariana Grande is nowhere near this soundtrack. <laughs> no, 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 no. She, she would no, not she fit not. in in the slightest. <laughs> so to, to spark things off, um, I want you to tell me how you feel about Juno McGuff as a character. I really, really, really like Juno. The thing is that when I was in high school, um, what year did this movie come out exactly? 2007. Okay, so, so I would have been a sophomore. Would have been like 16, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when this movie came out and, you know, I was a big fan of it, some of the girls like I went to high school with because as as my high school life went on further, I hung out disproportionately with more girls than guys. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, lots of reasons. <laughs> but a lot of them were like, oh, man, I, I could really see you dating someone like Juno. And Oops. well, no, the, uh, the, the irony is it's like, nah, dude, I want to be Juno. Like, she's fucking cool. <laughs> like... You watch horror movies and you say weird shit and you dress like your own way and you listen to fucking rad music. Like, no, that's fucking cool. Like, I want to be Juno. And like, I'm not. But like, I'm, a, I'm in that sort of realm. I'm in that ballpark. Yeah. So we used to have a like Friday night movie night at my house mm-hmm. when I was in high school because I lived like a single yard over from the high school. And, like, she's not exaggerating. I've seen her house. It is, like, you literally walk across the yard and then you're at school. Yeah, it's my my backyard touches school property. That's just how it works. But yeah. we would have movie nights and we would usually end up watching comedies because a lot of people didn't like scary movies. A lot of, not everyone liked action movies. You're not going to watch, like, a fucking drama or a romance movie at, at like, a fun movie night. It's not really, like, right. the, yeah, that's it's not, not really the right thing. fit for that. So we watched comedies a lot and... uh Boy, I, I've been subjected to all of those from the guy, two of the five guys that made scary movie movies. <laughs> I've, oh my God. Like I saw a disaster movie. I saw Meet the Spartans. I saw a date movie. They are some of the worst things I've ever seen. Like irredeemably bad, insultingly unfunny, horrible movies. And I think it was Epic Movie that spoofed Juno, where they had this one actress, and I think she was on Mad TV, and I don't remember her name offhand, but she played the Juno-type character and like did the things where, like, she's breakdancing by spinning on her big pregnant belly. Ah! It was Disaster Movie. Was Disaster Movie the one? Okay. But, <laughs> so I, I remember being, like, really upset about how bad it was and how insulted it was and I wanted to defend this movie because it's that movie is sitting there and just saying like you're just a smart mouth teen who has one-liners and 
thinks they know everything, but you don't. And I'm like, fuck you, movie. You you literally wrote your plot by watching movie trailers and didn't even watch the films. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Like, for yeah. those who don't know, that's legitimately how some of those movies got made. Yeah, I was so mad. Like, especially because, like, as an adult now, I'm very furious about, like, what the scary movies did because I saw Scary Movie 1 and 2 before I saw Scream 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And they take the piss out of those movies, like, so ruthlessly. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it tries to suck the fun out of those movies. It's not parodying it. It's too mean-spirited for that. And that's what all of those films kind of were like. Where it's not like, oh, we're not, like, saying anything smart. We're not intelligently spoofing this thing. It's just we're cutting everything down because it's cool to be disaffected and hate everything. Yeah. So... That, that was, like, the two sides of the camp of Juno, which is, like, people who were like, I love this movie because I really love the character, and I think she's great and strong and smart and funny. And then people being like, fuck you, you're pregnant teen who thinks she's smart and not. One of the weird things is when, when Juno came out, there were definitely a lot of people, a lot of my teachers, which was always weird, mm-hmm. but a lot of my teachers would talk about how the character of Juno reminded them of me. And I don't know if it was, you know, because I liked horror movies, because I listened to, you know, music that was a lot older, Mm -hmm. because I definitely marched to the beat of my own drum. I don't know. But they always ended it with the caveat of like, but you're not pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And as a teenager, I used to always take that as like a really nice compliment. And now as an adult, I look back at that and I'm like, no, you're just shaming pregnant teens Mm -hmm. and i know that we've discussed on the show before that i went to a high school that did have a pretty high rate of teen pregnancy Mm -hmm. and i realized now it's like no that was a backhanded compliment that's like some in a world of kardashians be a whatever the fuck kind of backhanded compliment where Mm -hmm. it's like you're not complimenting me you're just putting other women down i don't appreciate that you're saying i'm better than other people but you're not actually elevating me you're just putting other people below me exactly so that was always like a weird thing but Juno as a character is definitely one that I've always seen myself in and it's because of those weird quirks and more so that Juno is appreciated for having those weird quirks and I've thought over the years is there anybody else who could play that character and I think Elliot Page is really the only one Mm -hmm. there is something about the way that they perform and just the the genuine authenticity to even the weirdest of characters that you can't teach somebody. Mm-hmm. And Elliot was absolutely deserving of uh, the Academy Award nomination mm-hmm. for that performance because even now it's what it's almost fifteen, 15 years, years later. Basically. Yeah, almost fifteen years later, and it still holds up and resonates, and you feel everything that Juno is going through and you you go on that journey because it's a believable one. Yeah, and I think a lot of that can be credited to uh, Diablo Cody, which we praise Diablo Cody a bunch during the Jennifer's yes. Body episode yes, yes, yes. for the very specific way she writes characters and dialogue. Mm-hmm. And there's moments in this movie where if you're like really t- like detecting hints of things, you can go, oh, I can date this movie based on this thing. Like, oh, we're going to go throw donuts at the screen of that guy who has 18 kids. And it's like, oh, that's probably cheaper by the dozen. Yeah. So like you can date kind of where stuff is based on th- those elements. But for the most part, it's timeless. Like this could be the early 90s. This could be the late 80s. This could be 2007. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking about this on another podcast where we were discussing um, like low budget filmmaking 
And one of the things we brought up is how making a movie timeless at this point, because everything moves so fast, usually means kind of like fucking with technology. Mm -hmm. And I drew the example of It Follows, where we frequently see them using like old like CRTVs, but then having these like digital shell e-readers. So Mm -hmm. the movie becomes kind of impossible to place in time. And Juno definitely, I think, does that because, you you know, we still have landlines mm-hmm. because we've got, like, the hamburger phone. But the references that are being made are pretty modern. So it becomes really weird trying to place it. And mm-hmm. I think that that's to the movie's benefit. Yeah, and I think that kind of tinges on them being in what I assume is a very small town. Mm-hmm. And Juno's family not necessarily having a lot of money. So they drive, like, a old van right and like her style is not super emblematic of its time like she wears like very it's very thrift couture exactly like the best way oh i'm wearing a t-shirt that's like a slinky brand shirt that you could buy at like a jc penny or it could be from 1985 yeah exactly and i think the styling of this movie is is really a strong suit and speaking of like styling We've got to go with our, you know, Juno's other half, and we got to talk about Polly Bleeker because Polly Bleeker's styling is so good in those little <laughs> running shorts. Wow, your shorts are like especially gold today. Uh, my mom uses color safe bleach. Go, Carol. Michael Sarah just looks like a delight. So, what do you think of Polly? So, I have a joke that I say all the time, which I'm not even sure how true this is anymore, but I've been saying it for years, so I'm just going to keep saying it. Where uh, in Xena Warrior Princess, I want to be Xena, but I'm not. I'm Gabrielle. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I am with this movie where it's like, oh, no, I want to think that I'm Juno, but I'm I'm bleaker. You're my bleaker. I love you so much. You are my bleaker. You are tall and you are just all limbs and you're an absolute delight, but you're bleaker. <laughs> I know. I'm ex- you're, you're race car bed. I'm extremely white. I think race car beds are cool as someone who's never had one <laughs> when we watched it together and they do that shot revealing that Polly Bleeker, this giant child still sleeps in a race car bed you went <gasps> race car bed yeah well i mean <laughs> i sprang up in uh i think like when it was the summer of seventh and eighth grade i shot up like six inches seven mm-hmm. inches like over the summer i came back and i was huge mm-hmm. and everyone's like oh your poor joints I'm like my poor joints all the time the growing pains had nothing to do with it <laughs> but i still slept in my childhood bedroom oh i've seen those pictures where you're just like just cover you honestly it reminds me of when you buy like an asiago bagel and there's that cheese that just draped over the top of the bagel and it's just hanging off all four sides yeah that's what you look like on that bed Basically, you are asiago cheese because well, i'm i'm six foot three and i slept on a twin bed and mm-hmm. a twin bed is only six feet long mm-hmm. and that's assuming that you are you know pushed up to the absolute like tippy end of it so like theoretically I should have gotten a bigger bed, but my childhood bedroom was also only seven foot by nine. Yeah. So I was basically <laughs> sleeping in a box and you couldn't get another bed in there Yeah, because the size you would have needed would have been a queen because it goes to like six, five, six, six or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that never would have actually, no. there would have been no room for anything else. No, There's no you, floor then. You wouldn't have been able to move. Yeah. So like I wouldn't have been able to open the closet or a dresser. You would have opened a door and there would have been a bed there. Yeah. So I ended up, sleeping on the on the futon in the basement for most of high school Mm -hmm. but yeah no when he's still sleeping in a race car bed despite being in high school it's like oh no i understand skinny boy i'm (laughs) I'm there with you i get how this works 
But I I really love Michael Sarah in everything he's in. Mm-hmm. I think he is so like so charming and cute. He's such a dork. Like he's he is one of the most cripplingly typecast people of the last 20 years. But you know what? He has owned the shit out of it. Exactly. So I love him in Superbad. I love him in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. I love him in Juno, obviously. I love the polar opposite of him where he's coked up out of his mind. In, and this is the end? And this is the end, Oh, yeah, yes. it's great. Like, I think Michael Sarah is so delightful and I don't know where the fuck he went. I feel like he grew that mustache and then disappeared <laughs> from the world. He's doing some, like, weird-ass indie projects. Which is great. I, I, I hope they're amazing weird-ass indie project. He's probably going to be like Dimitri Martin one day where it's like, wait, Dimitri Martin's in his 40s? <laughs> Because you realize that he still looks like a young 20-year-old child. What I also love is that you have such an affinity for Michael Sarah, and you didn't watch Arrested Development, which nope. is where he shines. And that's also where, you know, Jason Bateman shines, and he's also in this movie, which is, like, a weird thing. Like, yeah, I, uh, I've, I've said it up and down. I'm not a TV person. I am a, I'm a movie person. But also, Arrested Development, as I understand, didn't really get its audience when it was on the air, did it? No, not really. Yeah, it retrospectively got an audience yeah. like once like streaming became available and stuff like that. Well, I think it exploded. Like it definitely had like a a very loud rabid fan base, but they were smaller and once they hit Netflix then yeah, it exploded. Yeah, exactly. So like I how would I have watched it then? Good point. <laughs> but uh no, Bleaker's cool because he likes all of the same stuff as Juno. He's also like a, a weird little like runner kid who just he plays music. He also likes music. He also has a really good sense of humor and is super fun, Mm -hmm. but he's really understated and awkward. I think that he represents, I want to say like the authenticity of kind of like geeky kids, Mm -hmm. because we look at geeky characters in the 80s and you have like (laughs) Revenge of the Nerds like over the top or you get the, the nerds from fucking just one of the guys that carry lizards around. Yeah, or even if you get um, more modern 80s throwback nerds, like uh, the Stranger Things kids. Yes, where, like, the nerdiness is just so overt. And while, yeah... There's... They're a little too confident and a little too capable, and, <laughs> like, and this Polly is... Bleeker is the everyman of nerds. Yeah, it's not to say that those kids don't exist, because they absolutely do. Oh, yeah, they do. But... I think that there's a lot more that are poly bleakers of the world that are just really charming, nice kids. They're just kind of fucking awkward. Yeah, and I I love that. That those are some of my favorite people. So yeah, like bleakers, bleakers rad. I I love him. I think he's great. I love I love bleaker. So there's only a couple more that I want to really dive into, but I want to dive into them as as pairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to dive into Juno's parents. So J.K. Simmons and Allison Janney just comedic royalty if, if you ask me uh how do you feel about juno's parents i really love i don't even know what like what juno's dad's name is i just call him jk simmons <laughs> i feel like that's just how we feel about jk simmons in everything only when he's bald yes if he has hair then he's a different person yes that's very true it's like no that's not jk simmons that's j jonah jameson <laughs> that's teacher with a with a hook hand in jennifer's body yeah that's not jk simmons that's that's a different man that's mr peanut that's not jk simmons <laughs> he's not mr peanut he's er, the peanut so, m&m sorry. <laughs> yes i got really excited <laughs> but no i uh i i love jk simmons and bren 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 rules like here's the thing i I love Allison Janney. She's so probably in my top five favorite performers ever, regardless I think she's of great, yes. gender presentation and genre. I don't give a fuck. 
Allison Janney, queen forever. Um, I also have such a love of scenes of Allison Janney in hospitals. Um, okay, very specific. So Juno dropped it gorgeous. Like those two back, just ugh, love it so much. I love the energy that she brings. But I love Bren because movies have a tendency to paint stepmothers as just, you know, the wicked stepmother. There's a trope with the name in it. Mm-hmm. And Bren is kind of awesome. Like, she definitely understands that she's not Juno's mom. She does not have, you know, that sort of connection. But she's still a parental figure who cares a lot about her and wants to take care of her. And I love seeing that. Because ultimately, there are way more stepmoms like that than there are Cinderella. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I appreciated her as much when I was, like, in high school. Mm -hmm. Because I always remember just being like, oh, God, J.K. Simmons is such a good dad. And he's, like, a very... He's very, like, Hank Hillish, but not quite as much of a wiener, but he's just, like, in the way that Hank Hill has his propane and propane accessories, J.K. Simmons is, like, heating and air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> like, born to do that. So he's, like, really good at having, like, this patient, very, uh, like, old man dad kind of wisdom, but mm-hmm. only when he needs to. Otherwise, he's going to kind of just let you do your thing. Mm-hmm. And he's also, like, th- there's, a, there's a weird thing that kind of underlies every single character in this movie except for probably Bleaker mostly and uh, Jennifer Garner. Which I agree. Is, which is that everyone in this movie, like there's a lot of heart and sincerity, but everyone is rude as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I. so I had to look it up because I also could not remember what Juno's dad's name is. His name is Mac. His name is Mac McGuff. Okay, cool. Which is a great name. Yes, it's a very good dad name. <laughs> and J.K. Simmons to me represents all of the good parts of everyone's dad that they can remember Mm -hmm. the moments of really good advice but also like the very specific like dad sense of humor like i love the line like i'm gonna punch that bleaker kid in the wiener (laughs) it's like i don't know if i really approve of you dating in your condition yeah stuff like that where it's like that's such a dad thing to say but it's not like you know hi hungry i'm dad it's not that like mocky it's not real cringy dad humor yeah but it's still dad humor. Like, it's that specific brand of dad humor that hasn't been commodified and sold on, like, birthday cards yet. Yeah, or in, like, bad sitcom writing. Yes. Yeah, no, This there's a lot of sincerity with, like, this whole movie. But, like, these parents are are really great. And I, I think of J.K. Simmons as being, like, Mac, Mr. Mac McGuff <laughs> in this movie as being probably being the first dad I think of in like a teen movie that I really love. Like mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit in um, the easy a episode about how mm-hmm. much we love like Stanley Tucci as a dad, but like he's very cartoony and it's like kind of unrealistic. Like I think he's super duper fun, but he's not grounded enough. It's like, Oh no, Mac McGuff is real. Yeah. This is a real dad. Like yeah. this is the, the, the sincere, I can come to this dad with a problem thing. Yeah. And I really love that about him, but Allison Janney in this movie, I, as I get older, I appreciate her so much more because like, there's definitely these scenes and we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to our next uh, pairing of characters, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely scenes that set her up early on about how she sucks. Like Juno has her little monologue about like how she's obsessed with dogs. Like she monologues about everyone except for like her dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just maybe, like, she's not going to rag on him, but she kind of rags on everybody else in her monologue, mm-hmm. except for Bleaker, kind of. 
the only time she really rants about Bleecker is in a positive light. Yeah. Like the Tic Tacs or running or anything like that. Exactly. But no, like she like kind of like undercuts her and there's these moments of being like, you know, I'm not your mother, but you can't go talk to like married men and Mm -hmm. like all these like little things of just being like, you don't understand me, mom. Like, you're not my real mom. Like, there's these, there's this air of that that kind yeah. of hovers over her. And then you get later into the movie and that haze and fog of just like, I know who this character is kind of fades away. And then she starts verbally abusing, like, ultrasound technicians and just being like a wildly supportive stepmother. But at the same time when that moment happens, so I don't think that that sort of blur of you know who is this character goes away i think it then becomes i think it becomes clearer i think it becomes clearer and i think that it almost becomes weaponized because you know we we know that bren is like pretty intense with juno but it's when we get to the ultra ultrasound tech scene where she you know kind of roasts into this woman Mm -hmm. but at the same time is calling Juno, like, my idiot stepdaughter. Yes. And it's this thing where it's like, yeah, that's the relationship they have, where she's being honest, like, my fucking dumb kid who got pregnant. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, that's my dumb kid. You don't get to disrespect my dumb kid. Exactly. And, like, that's the the underlying layer of rudeness that just feels very real. Mm -hmm. Because this is a very, like, Midwestern kind of way of Mm -hmm. showing your affection, which is, like, lovingly roasting your friends. I've definitely had people that I've known who are from New Jersey where it's like, oh no, you like totally like ru- like ruin your friends on a daily right. basis and that's how you show how much you care about someone in like a New Jersey way. Mm-hmm. And that's probably like extends to like New York and there's probably, there's definitely like these regional pockets of like how affection is shown. Mm-hmm. And this is like this really specific nucleus that feels extremely familiar to me mm-hmm. from how I... I guess sort of idealized seeing my friends interact with their parents. That was always the way that I wanted to see them react. But then I had other friends who did it and it was not nice. I'd be like, shut up, mom, you're a fat whore. And it's like, well, it's not playful anymore. This isn't loving. This is mean. Right. So like there's a really difficult balance of being rude but respectful that is -hmm. is kind of here. And Juno has that in different uh, quantities for the people in her life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think she kind of gets a lot more respect for Bren through this whole experience. You know? I, I think so too. And I think it's because this is one of the first times where, you know, Juno as a character has always been staunchly independent. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that now she really does need to rely on her support system, even though she clearly does not want to. No, not at all. Sort of the opposite of Mac and Bren. Let's talk about Vanessa and Mark. How do you feel about Vanessa and Mark? I actually think they have a very unique relationship. And it's really interesting to see because on a surface level, Mark feels like somebody I could know. Mm-hmm. Not in terms of like, oh, like that's just a, he's he's an everyman and I, everybody knows a Mark. I'm talking more so about like, oh yeah, he's like. A, a, a late 30s, maybe early 40s punk musician who never quite made it and now writes, like, commercial jingles to make his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But, like, he goes home and watches his horror movies and stuff like that. Like, I know people who oh, basically kn- do stuff like that. I know a lot of Marks. <laughs> yes, so on, like, a surface level, I feel like I know Mark. And on a personal level, I feel like I know what the movie wants you to think Vanessa is. Yes, I am very glad that that is the way that you phrased that. Yes. 
because Vanessa is kind of similar to Bren, but in a more intense way mm -hmm. for how, like, they treat her framing for the first half of the movie. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, no, everything has to be pristine and clean and, like, very white and pastel and neutral tones. And everything, ha all the magazines have to be lined up just so. And everything has to be absolutely perfect. It's almost like a like a Midwestern mom OCD kind of thing going on. Everything needs to look like it came out of a J. Crew catalog. Yes. And that's kind of portraying her as just being sort of insufferable and Mark's like the down-to-earth kind of fun guy. Yeah. But then things start to take a turn. And what's interesting is obviously this was not our first time watching this, so we know where that turn is going to go. But in that first scene, the first time that we're ever really shown Vanessa as like, oh, what a buzzkill, is when Juno meets them for the first time and then is leaving the bathroom and notices the Les Paul guitar. Mm -hmm. Juno and Mark then have like a little jam session and Vanessa comes in and is like, you're playing music? You know, the, the lawyers here, we, we got to do this. Like, you can do that at another time. And Mark is clearly being like, I'm just showing the kid around. Like, she wanted to see it. I'm doing the thing. Like, he's... He gets to feel cool. Yeah. So it's making it look like, oh, God. Like, look at this nagging this wife. This my ball and chain. Yeah. When in reality, like, knowing where it goes, I, I turn to you and I look. And I'm like, no, she's right. Lawyers are fucking expensive. Quit dicking around. They charge by the hour. Yeah, they charge by the hour. Like, quit dicking around. Like, you can play music after. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't a matter of, like, you can't play music ever. It's like, no, you, there are, are responsibilities here at play, and y you need to do them. That doesn't make her a buzzkill. That makes her responsible. Yeah, and the thing with Mark is, like, each, I, I watch this movie once every couple, maybe every two years or so, I'll come back and revisit this movie. The last time we watched it actually was on uh, Christmas last year. When we had a Jennifer Garner, like, spontaneous marathon. Yeah, and that was great. I loved it. So little things that I notice in this movie every single time I watch it, there's always something, and I mm -hmm. love that about Juno. But one thing that I pick up on, because I know to look for it now, mm -hmm. every single time I watch it, I study Mark, and Jason Bateman is doing such good physical acting in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Because there are so many of these little details in his acting where Juno asks him like oh hey Mark are you excited to be a dad and he's answering but he's shaking his head no the whole time mm -hmm. or when they're deciding what color they should paint like the baby nursery and you know Vanessa's trying to nest as the baby books tell her to do mm -hmm. and he's sitting there with his arms crossed and he's not really giving answers and he clearly doesn't want to be doing this mm -hmm. like everything about his physicality says that, like, he's not invested, he's not involved, he wants nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more custard, just with this light. I don't know, maybe I should paint a larger swatch or just try it on a, another one. Or you can wait a few more months. Not like the baby's gonna come storming in here demanding dessert-colored walls. <laughs> well, what to expect says that readying the baby's room is an important process for the woman especially if you're adopting. It's called nesting. Nesting? Yeah. What, are you going to build a crib out of sticks and spit? Hmm? Well, you should read the book. I yeah. flagged the daddy chapters. They're... I think it's too early to paint. That's my opinion. I disagree. If there's one thing that is a common theme throughout this movie, and I think that can, you know, transition into theming, is that Mark 
is terrible at communication. Terrible mm-hmm. at it. Because you can tell from the outside that he doesn't want to do this. He's mm-hmm. not he's not ready. He's you know, a little honestly, he's a little he's he is a little immature for to be to become more a than a little. More than a little. And he, he doesn't want to grow up. No, he doesn't. And at the same time, you know, Juno and Polly are, are struggling to communicate, but they're children. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're not children, but like they're teenagers. They're, they're 16. 16. Um, I expect them to be bad at communication. Mm-hmm. And it's this really interesting parallel where you, where you look and it's like, you know, they're supposed to be the adults here and you know, Mark can't even do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, it's, it's tough. It's tough to say, but I feel like maybe he's not, disclosing that there's a problem at all like he says oh it's been a ticking clock or it's been coming for a long time or whatever it is he says Mm -hmm. to juno when he's trying to justify running away with this 16 year old pregnant child well the well first off yes dear fucking god that we'll dive into that in a little bit yeah um but when he's having that moment he's expressing you know you put the ad in the paper and i thought that it was going to be a couple months but then you know juno's here so he was under the impression of like oh i have more time Mm -hmm. and was not expressing hey i'm nervous can we wait a few months and then see where i'm at Mm -hmm. he was like oh yeah just go ahead and do it because we'll probably have a couple months that's on you bro yeah and i'm not sure if vanessa knows that he has these hesitations or if i don't think she did if she knows that like he's clearly falling out of love with her or Mm -hmm. whatever i i don't know if that's ever properly conveyed and that's totally his fucking fault yeah he's a he's being a fucking douche and on the inverse of that we have the communication issues between juno and bleaker and I feel like Juno kind of relates to Mark in like how she she kind of wants to hang out with him and stuff like that and thinks mm-hmm. he's cool because she's also not very good at communicating because mm-hmm. Bleeker's not either, but there's that moment where she blows up in his face about um, dating the girl who smells like soup and taking her to prom <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So there's that whole moment and he's just like, what, 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 where's, where's this coming from? You're, you're being really rude. Like, what did I do? Because Juno suggested, like right. Juno told Bleeker to do this and now he's doing it and is very confused why he's being yelled at. Exactly. Because this is one of those instances where there, there's a lot of things happening. One, they're teenagers. They're not good at communicating. Well, yeah. Two, Juno is incredibly hormonal because she is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously she's, Bleaker, she's carrying your kid. Like, I, I just mm-hmm. want to shake you, you you beautiful idiot. But the whole, like, suggesting of Katrina Dvorak to, like, date him, that whole situation is Juno having that, like, self-deprecating, you know... It, I think the way that I compared it is when little kids want something in the supermarket, like, they want a toy or whatever, and they say things like, you know, it'd be really nice to have it. I mean, I don't really want it. Like, it's fine if I don't get it. He's like dropping it's, hints. Yeah. When you're doing this thing where you're acting like, oh, no, this, it's fine. Everything's fine. And that's what Juno's doing. Like, oh, you should, I look like a planet and you should, you should date this girl. And I think that she would like you and it would be great when clearly what she wants is for Bleeker to be like, no, I love you because then it takes all of the pressure off of her. Because as we know, at the end of the movie, she's in love with Bleeker. She doesn't want to admit it. She does not want to accept that as a reality. So this is her way of sort of baiting him to be like, no, you know, it's, 
It's like when people like fish for compliments uh-huh. where it's like, oh, look how ugly I look in this picture. But on like a more subtle scent. But because Bleeker is a beautiful idiot high school boy, he's <laughs> like, oh, I guess I should. I guess she wants me to date them. It's like every scene in a movie where it's like, oh, they were flirting with me. I thought they really did just need a ride home. And it's like, oh, you dumb idiot. I love you, but you're so dumb. And this is why I am bleaker, because I'm very bad at knowing when people are flirting with me. Yes, you're so bad at it. I... People will do it. And like... Obviously in the before times, but we would like be places and somebody would be openly flirting with you. And I'm just sitting there like cracking up because again, I'll watch people shoot their shot and miss all night. But it's funnier because you do not recognize that it's happening and everyone else around you does. No, um, (laughs) the bar I work at, I went there for the first time on a date that I didn't know was a date. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, and then I became a bar regular and got hired there. But uh, yeah, I know I've gone on lots of dates that I didn't know were dates because mm-hmm. I am not smooth. No, no, you're not. I I prefer <laughs> chunky peanut butter for a reason. I'm not smooth. <laughs> but I feel like Juno wants to be like her preppy friend, whose name I've never bothered to learn. Leah. Yes, Leah. <laughs> so I feel like Juno kind of wants to be like her in that Leah is extremely irresponsible and doesn't give a fuck about anything and says rude stuff constantly. And Juno wants to be that sort of disaffected punk rock version where it's like, no, I don't actually have feelings. Like, I don't really care about anything. I just want to, like, play music and be, like, and be contrary to everything and just kind of live my life and be that way. I can't fall in love. When the reality is Juno cares probably more than Leah ever will. Exactly. Like, there's <laughs> points where Leah is running Juno around the hospital in a wheelchair. Just crashing her into Crashing shit. her into stuff while she is in labor. And it's like, don't do that. And it's like, but come on, we're having it's fun. It's fun. And it's like, that is a good, shitty, dumb friend you can have. Right. But also, Juno is not that person. Juno has more going on. Juno has adult responsibilities Mm -hmm. of being like you know pregnant and being in love with the father of her child Mm -hmm. and so many more things than oh i have a crush on my teacher keith oh he's so gross too which i I just noticed this on this rewatch which i've somehow missed it but like you ever have those things where you just don't register something or think about it very much Mm -hmm. but uh that moment where she's having a conversation with her teacher and they're like down the hallway and the camera's pulled super far back and she goes oh my god i love woody allen too and i'm like oh no (laughs) (laughs) like it just never registered of like oh no that has very deep connotations and it's gross uh yeah it's a great joke because diablo cody is brilliant it's really funny but so disgusting and there's that moment where she's just like oh but keith's hot and he's like wiping his face when it is so gross looking so gross and it's like (laughs) girl it's okay if you like have a thing for like bearded like fat daddy types like that's okay but don't have it be your teacher and wait till you're 18. Like, that's the rule. Yeah. That's how that works. So this is going to be a, a fun confession time. Uh-oh. That's going to... Don't tell me you have a crush on Keith. Oh, no. no okay, no. thank God. Um, but I will fully admit that um, when I was in high school, I hooked up with somebody who did not know how old I was at the time because I was a bad kid. Mm-hmm. And then when... Um, I was a senior in high school. I was like right about to graduate. This same person ended up being 
a substitute teacher at my high school. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those uh, very difficult moments mm-hmm. of just, and the kicker too is like, I was a, I was a teacher's aide. So he was like the sub for the class that I was an aide for. And I had to like oh. be his assistant teacher. And he walked in and the first thing he said is you better be a fucking student teacher. And I was like, I'm a senior. And like, I watched him do the math in his head mm-hmm. from when, cause we had hooked up like years before. Uh-huh. But again, you know, I've looked like I was 25 since I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, bad person. I was going through a lot of bad stuff in high school. Yeah. And, um, it became this thing where I, yeah, I'd like, I had to tell this person like, yeah, no, I was like, 15 at the time and he's like <gasps> and just like freaked out and I was like it's not your fault like I'm not gonna call anybody like nobody knows I'm not gonna do anything but that's a thing that I've you know carried with me forever of like I was just kind of reckless and uh inadvertently fucked a teacher <laughs> oopsie poopsie oopsie poopsie indeed <laughs> so like kind of on that note like this was something I didn't really put two and two together for until also this rewatch because I was like Man, like, Elliot Page is, like, so talented in fucking everything, even Inception, which I don't like. And (laughs) I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, my two favorite movies that Elliot Page is in both have um, strong uh, pedophile tones to them. Oh, because you're talking about Hard Candy? Because I'm also talking about Hard Candy. And it's just like, wow, uh, strange how those are my favorite performances. Okay, I mean, they're very good, they're very well-written scripts. They're fucking fantastic scripts, and both of them have incredible villains in both, you know, Jason Bateman and Patrick Wilson. Mm-hmm. Oh, Patrick Wilson's so fucking good in that movie. Oh my god. Um, he is. Maybe we could do Hard Candy. Uh, I mean, maybe. it is a teen movie. It'd be a bad time. <laughs> I mean, it's a teen movie with adult connotations. That's yeah. how it works. Well, I mean, and that's and that's what Juno is, but Juno's obviously a lot more whimsical about those. Ad- Kimya Dawson would not fit in on Hard Candy soundtrack. No. <laughs> but, like, can we just please, like, a moment of appreciation for the way that Elliot Page says, I fucking hate gold frap. Like, ah, <laughs> so good. Just fucking put in a museum it's incredible i mean on that similar note because mark has bad taste um i really like the quote of i bought another sonic youth cd it sucks it's just noise i know you feel so vindicated i feel so vindicated because i also think sonic youth sucks i like that cover of the carpenters but it's because it's the carpenters every cover of it will sound great the melody is fantastic and i mean this movie is the second film in tears where i associate that carpenter song with the first one being tommy boy Mm -hmm. which if you're ever curious uh people listening at home when we sound check to record it is not uncommon for me to recreate the uh oh my god car crash speech from that movie to test audio levels yeah it's pretty frequent actually. so uh if you're curious that's a thing from behind the scenes here (laughs) at teep but the other one's cool thing cool thing's fine but like no i think the sonic i think sonic youth sucks and I also had uh, to confer with you to be like, hey, um, hmm. I, I know where you're going with it, and I'm already, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm I like, can s- see you wincing across I'm the room. I'm squeezing my paw print stress ball in my hand because <laughs> I'm going to have to pull away from the mic. But continue your sentence. Lead me to it. Yeah, so uh, I had to, like, basically go ahead and ask you when Mark's just like, oh, no, Wizard of Gore. Like, this is the best shit ever. I'm like... BJ, would you please like to weigh in on this versus Argento? Herschel Gordon-Lewis is a very important and monumental filmmaker in the horror genre. 
Dario Argento is a fucking master. Okay. I got that out of my system. It's one of the few opinions that Juno and I disagree on. No. Like, yes, Herschel Gordon Lewis is very talented, made some very gory movies, you know, definitely changed the, the way that we look at gore in cinema. Trailblazer, tip of the hat to you, sir. Is it better than Suspiria? No! <laughs> Oh, what? God. No, a million times, a billion, trillion times. No. Do you know why? Do you want to know how? Do you want to know how I can tell you that it's not better? Because when the Wizard of Gore got a remake, it was a huge flop and had Crispin Glover being a fucking crazy person in it. Suspiria gets remade by an Academy Award-winning director and gives Dakota Johnson the uh, most incredible performance of her life. And Tilda Swinton plays like four different characters, two of which are monsters, one of which is an old man, and it's fucking flawless. <laughs> like, if you can remake the movie and it's still amazing, then you're the better creator. Fuck off, Mark. Get out of my DMs, horror bros. Oh my God. Don't at me. Oh. Okay, I can breathe now. I'm good now. You good now? I'm, I'm good I'm, now. I'm glad you're fine. I'm, I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Mark sucks. Mark does suck. Mark. Fuck you, Mark. Yeah, fuck Mark. Fucking Marks. I wish I, I wish I knew what other bad music Mark listened to so I could shit on. He probably likes Morrissey. Ugh. Fuck Morrissey. <laughs> you have a shirt that says fuck Morrissey. I do have a shirt that says fuck Morrissey on it. Because he's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> in, in all... In all seriousness, to kind of get the giggles out, let's talk about the important thing that is teen pregnancy. Sure. I hope you liked my transition of like being like a cool like assembly, like <laughs> all kidding aside, abstinence, like because that is a that is the type of uh, assembly you'd probably have in school. Um, my school didn't because we didn't talk about sex. That's true. You did not have. We didn't even have sex abstinence ad. conversations. We had none. Which is wild as fuck. <laughs> I know, right? Ohio's fucking crazy. Ohio's the. Like, I always want to say, like, it's the Wild West. Like, no, this is not the Wild West. This is just sad. It's the mundane Midwest. This is the mundane Midwest. There you go. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> teen pregnancy. Uh, I didn't know anyone in my school who was a teen mom or okay. teen pregnant. A teen, pre a pregnant teen. A, an expecting mom. That's that's probably mm -hmm. the words I want, not a teen pregnant. But, <laughs> I mean, if, if they were, then it got nipped in the bud. Mm -hmm. by by you know maybe women now because they help women now who knows <laughs> but yeah i don't really have any experiences with teen pregnancy and i actually had to double check with you to be like is this where the pregnancy packed from was it to try and like bamboozle boyfriends into falling in love with them and you go no that's 16 pregnant i was like are you sure because <laughs> i'm like no i have like mandela to affect that phenomenon with this movie not 16 and pregnant so i did do a little bit of research into it because the pregnancy pact did happen like right at the same time that 16 pregnant was released mm -hmm. so the idea that they may have been inspiring one another is not like if the timeline doesn't totally sync up right mm -hmm. but what happened is when the news broke across the country about the i think it's i can't even say it. it's like the Gloucester 18 Gloucester. Sure. I was not good at geography. Um, but the group of women who all became pregnant in high school, um, and they apparently did so together because they wanted to 
raise their children together. Immediately, it was backlash for things like 16 and Pregnant and like Juno, which people argued was normalizing teen pregnancy and making it look like it's just a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. Which, in my opinion, tells me that none of them have ever watched either of those properties because there is nothing easy about 16 and Pregnant. It's For me, I watch it and I'm like, this is my nightmare. I watched a couple episodes because it happened to be on and I was... Mm-hmm. Very upset. Yeah, by there's everyone. A, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of broken families. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those are really hard to watch. Um, and then when it comes to Juno, like this isn't this is not an easy situation. I mean, yeah, it's it's a little bit more manageable, and it's fortunate that Juno has supportive parents. But the reality is, ultimately, like Juno's also giving up that child for adoption. You're pregnant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and if it is any consolation, I have heartburn that is radiating my kneecaps, and I haven't taken a dump since Wednesday morning. So in 2019, that is when the state of Georgia and a couple other places were, like Ohio as, as an example, were introducing heartbeat bills. So for those that don't know, heartbeat bills um, are pieces of legislation that have been introduced that would prohibit people from getting an abortion once a fetal heartbeat can be detected, and that can be detected as early as six weeks. Uh Um, For those that don't know how uh, pregnancy works and how how you determine how long somebody's been pregnant, your date of pregnancy uh, starts from your last menstrual cycle, Uh which means if you are a month late you're already four weeks pregnant and most people don't like periods can be really irregular so a lot of people don't even think to start taking a pregnancy test until after six weeks Uh which at that point it would be too late so that's uh it's fucked up and unconstitutional um in in a lot of ways because it's just it's awful it's very restrictive of you know reproductive independence and I'm just going to say this here now. This is a this is a pro-choice pod, podcast. Um, Yay! Abortions if, for anyone who wants them. Yeah, if if you are an anti-choicer, anti this is probably not the, the show for you. But what really makes me sad is that I've always felt that Juno is a really great example of why pro-choice is a good thing, giving people options, mm-hmm. as well as showcasing why things like harassing people outside of a abortion clinic or a reproductive health center is really shitty Mm -hmm. because when Juno first finds out that she's pregnant, her instinct is to get an abortion. And the only reason that she doesn't get one is because one of her classmates is outside protesting a, you know, a, a sole protester outside the abortion clinic fingernails <laughs> yes talking about babies having fingernails and babies being able to really? feel <laughs> being able to feel pain and essentially guilting juno out of it and also it smells like a dentist's office and everyone's weird and this one woman keeps talking about her boyfriend's pie balls <laughs> just the whole experience is off yeah emily perkins is talking about pie balls also i think she's playing a nintendo ds with no game in it but i'm not positive on that one <laughs> it certainly looks like it <laughs> Of course, that's a thing you would notice. Mm -hmm. But where I get really 
frustrated is that some people have turned this movie into being like, well, if Juno would have just been able to get an abortion, then all of this could have been avoided. And instead, now we have this like beautiful touching ending where Vanessa gets the baby. And this is, you know, an anti-abortion movie. And I don't see it as that. I see this movie very much as options are good to have. And this is one version of that plan. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you, how do you, how you feel about it. I mean, I see it as, I see this movie as being very pro, not one size fits all. Yes. Because not every circumstance is going to be the same. Even something as simple as pointing out in the penny saver where, you know, they find baby wanted ads. (laughs) Seeking spawn or whatever. Yeah. Like desperately seeking spawn. Yeah. Um, not every family in there is the same because it's just like, oh, hey, we've got three kids already and we want another one. And it's like, mm, no, you did, you don't need another baby. You want another baby. Mm-hmm. So, like, even something as simple as, like, okay, well, I could get an abortion. I could keep the baby. I could give it to any number of these people. You could theoretically just kind of throw it in an adoption home. Mm-hmm. And, like, there, there's many things you can do and... There's goods and bads to all of them. The adoption home is probably the last choice possible in an ideal circumstances because our whole adoption system is royally yeah, the fucked foster, and overcrowded. Yeah, the foster systems, they're just... Yeah, it's so... so ideally, it, every other choice might be better before that one, but, you know, it's. I think this movie is all about... It, yeah, it's all about options. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so there was an article that Vanity Fair wrote in 2019 when the Georgia bill was passing and Diablo Cody was on a podcast called Keep It. And she talks about how in today's climate, she would not have written Juno Mm -hmm. because it's been misinterpreted as an anti-choice movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So to quote her exactly, she says, I don't know if I would have written a movie like Juno if I had known that the world was going to spiral into this hellish alternative reality that we now seem to be stuck in. The Georgia thing is horrifying. It sucks so fucking bad. And I guess it just, it hurts my heart a little bit to know that the the anti-choice community also known as pro-life, but I refuse to call them that because they don't fucking care Mm -hmm. about life. They care about birth and that's, they're not the same thing. The reason that I get upset is because the anti-choice community is so good at manipulating information in order to push their own narrative. Oh yeah. Um, One of the most frustrating things I've ever seen was a billboard Oh, I've written about this. And you know exactly what I'm saying when I say this. Mm -hmm. It was up for years alongside one of the biggest highways going south out of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And it was there forever. And one side of it said abortion is racial genocide. Mm -hmm. And the other side like said abortion is like systemic oppression or something like that. Yeah. And it was basically done by an organization in order to use all of the correct buzzwords Mm -hmm. to try and get like these people in the middle to think, oh, hey, um, what you're doing when you have black babies being aborted is you're murdering a bunch of black people and you don't want to be racist, right? Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't believe in abortion. That's exactly what's happening. And I was furious every single time I drove by it for years. And it's finally down. I don't know what's in this place now, but I'm so happy about it. So I I actually wrote about these billboards because um, I was working for the local alt weekly at the time. And 
they were made in response to Cleveland has, uh, our, our clinic is preterm and mm-hmm. y'all, if you would like to support abortion access, donate to preterm today. They desperately fucking need it because Ohio is a shit show. In case you didn't know, the Ohio House recently passed a bill that if you get an abortion, you have to cremate or bury the fetal remains. Mm -hmm. It has not become law yet, but this state swung for Trump, so who fucking knows Mm -hmm. what's going to happen? Absolutely unreal. Just just smooth brain bullshit. I I cannot even put into words how much it upsets me. Mm -hmm. But preterm was putting out... um, not pro-abortion, because whenever you say that, it sounds like you just want everybody to, like, everyone kill babies. And it's like, that's not what we're Everybody who wants an abortion should get one, but you can't, that that's too many words. Yeah. Yeah. So they're billboards normalizing abortion. Mm -hmm. And they were billboards that said, like, abortion is, and it would be, like, my choice, or Mm -hmm. abortion is financial whatever. Things that were, like, you know, the the positive reasons why people seek out abortion. Mm -hmm. And this anti-choice organization then because they get funded with fucking church money so they get more money started putting out these billboards that yes would say things like abortion is is black genocide and abortion is systemic racism what they mean by that is that statistically speaking yes there are more black people who seek out abortion what they are not taking into consideration is why those statistics exist. Those statistics exist not because, you know, there are more black people getting pregnant or, you know, there's some sort of like epidemic of, you know, pregnancy. The statistics come from the fact that you look at the communities that have the least amount of access to sexual education, the communities that have the least amount of access to safe birth control options like even condoms or just Mm -hmm. birth control medication in general and those communities tend to be ones that are in poverty and ones that are you know dealing with economic oppression so that means rural communities and deeply urban communities Mm -hmm. which do tend to have higher populations of people of color because you know white supremacy is a thing Mm -hmm. so it's a twisted manipulation of facts without looking at any of the reasons why. And that's what they're doing with Juno is they're taking this movie and instead of viewing it for what it is, which is options are a good thing. Instead it's let's focus on the fact that this, you know, wonderful woman who's been looking for a child forever she now has a baby and Juno's life gets to go on as normal. And look at that. No baby had to die, blah, 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 blah. First off, abortions don't kill babies, they kill cells. But that's, an, whatever, this is this is not an abortion podcast, even though today it it's it, very necessary. It's just kind of how it. it comes with the territory of you. Yes, know, really. and here's the, here's the thing that's frustrating. I've said this in writing, I've said it in passing, I've never put it verbally on the record, and I'm mm-hmm. going to. I've had an abortion. I've had two abortions. Mm-hmm. And... They both sucked. They were not fun experiences. But do I regret them? No. Not in in, in the slightest at all. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning for having these uh, procedures, no one's fucking business but my own. But the fact is, seeing a movie like Juno, which at that point, I had already had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And 
even seeing through like a pregnancy being like, I'm still so glad that I I had that option. And knowing that there are people who like manipulate that into trying to act like it's, it's some like pro pro life propaganda just really fucking pisses me off on like a lot of levels. Yeah. So in terms of like looking at like the test of time of what this movie has to say about pregnancy and, and access and choice, I still think that it holds up. I'm just very sad that people have manipulated it the way that they have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same way. Cause I have never, never read this movie as being like anti-abortion at all. In fact, I, I quote fingernails constantly whenever yeah. I get the opportunity because they just repeat it multiple times and it's just really silly to me. Fingernails. Oh, fingernails, really? Because, you know, Bren's a nail Bren's technician. A nail technician. So of so course she she's fascinated by this. Oh, fingernails. But I've never read it that way. And I will obviously um, never have a baby. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not well equipped for that <laughs> and my, emotionally or biologically and my equipment has now been scorched earth and between uh, both of our genetics like and the amount of radiation that i've had pumped into my body we're either having an x-men or jason Voorhees, and i don't like those options so let's just not yeah i'm i'm not really we talked about this a little bit with the grandmother's house we go a couple episodes back but i'm not really great with children so i wouldn't want one anyway yeah but like as someone who's trans, I've been a part of conversations mm-hmm. with, you know, other trans women who say things like, oh, my God, if science got to the point where you could, like, have a womb put inside so you could actually carry a child, would you? And I go, fuck no. Absolutely not. Because, I mean, logistically, that would be outrageously expensive and I would never want to invest in that for something I'm not wholeheartedly into. So mm-hmm. it's not for me. But two, it, it's like bulldogs. Like my pelvis isn't big enough to push a child out of it. The, the plumbing's not right. So you'd have to gut me open mm-hmm. like a bulldog in order to remove that baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, there's nothing about that that appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure now that Elliot Page has came out as being trans, there's going to be some weird complexities to this movie because um cash who is bj's nephew and is an adorable little queer individual figuring their stuff out who has a very nice girlfriend nicknamed the equinox um from what i understand like this is her favorite movie right that's what Yes, I believe Juno is is her favorite movie. Yeah, like I mean, obviously, don't quote me on that, but like, I know, like, and also, I, I know that taste change every day, so it could yeah, be something else. Who knows? Who but knows. I know that both of them really like this movie, and I don't know how well this would how this would resonate with teens today. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. especially because like more and more younger people are getting less and less interested in pregnancy. So I don't know how much this kind of story appeals to them. But now that we have this trans element of Elliot transitioning or coming out at least you know who knows Mm -hmm. what they're going to do this is all a fairly fresh thing but i'm really curious to see how this movie's going to end up in the long term Mm -hmm. like i i don't know it's going to be real interesting to like revisit public opinion of this in like 10 years 
what I think was interesting upon this rewatch is obviously we watched it um, post Elliot's announcement and we started noticing that there are a couple of like pretty gender affirming moments in Juno as written. You know, the the speech that Mac gives to Juno about like, you know, what you need to look for in somebody who loves you, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, such a great fucking moment. Um, right up there with 16 Candles Dad. Like, just good dad advice it's, moment. It's, it's fantastic. so good. Are you having boy trouble? Because I gotta be honest, I don't really much approve of you dating in your condition. That's, uh, that's kind of messed up. No, Dad, it's not. I mean, that's pretty skanky. Isn't that what you girls call it? Skanky? Skeevy? Please stop. Tore up from the floor up? <laughs> that's, that's not what it's about. I, I just... I need to know that it's possible that two people can stay happy together forever. Well, it's not easy, that's for sure. And uh, I don't have the best track record in the world, I know, but I've been with your stepmother for 10 years now, and I'm proud to say we're very happy. Look, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is find a person who loves you for exactly what you are. You know, he's he's laundry listing how uh, your partner should feel about you. And it's like, they should love you. Good, bad, pretty, ugly, handsome. And like says all of, you know, all these different descriptors, but the descriptors that Mac uses are gendered. And he's talking to what is, you know, his daughter, but uh-huh. is, you know, being played by, uh, by a, a trans person. But he says, you know, pretty, ugly, handsome. And like, uh-huh. you and I use pretty and... and ha- Handsome, pretty, interchangeably. Well, you I don't call you, don't you call handsome. Me handsome but you I call, call me you handsome, handsome all the time. <laughs> but that's because you're Hank Hill, and that's, you know, it's one of my favorite Hank Hill quotes, which is when he refers to a piece of meat, which is being like, "I usually reserve this for my wife, but this is downright handsome." Yeah, <laughs> like that's what I'm referencing when I do it because yeah. I love that line so much. Yeah, like you you yell like, "Hey, handsome!" at me all the time. And what's mm-hmm. funny is that you can call me handsome because like I love you and I don't care, but like if anyone else in the world ever called me handsome, I'd be like, shut the fuck up. Like, I'd get so <laughs> mad because, like, being femme is such part of my identity. Mm-hmm. But by Mac talking to Juno in that moment, it's, like, this really interesting thing of, like, you know, he's he's clearly referring to, like, pretty, which is, like, a very femme sort of compliment, and then handsome, which is a very mask kind of compliment, but using them to the same person. Mm-hmm. And it's this question of, like, do you think it's because someone like Juno doesn't want to be called handsome? Or, is, you know... This is just a, a an affirming moment from from a dad, and I think that's really fucking cool. Yeah, um, there's there's a few moments that are kind of like that because she's maybe like Kathleen Hanna, which is just like you look cool and you act cool, mm-hmm. but you're not trying to be pretty. That's not your style, right? I mean, even when um when when Juno's going through the the medicine cabinet at Vanessa and Mark's house, and she puts like the cold cream on her face it isn't like see when i do that at friends houses i'm like oh you got the good expensive shit let me clear up these bags under my eyes for a little bit whereas juno it's like i'm it's like war paint mm-hmm. it's like a child and then, like grunts and yeah stuff. it's like a child playing with mom's makeup yeah kind of or what is the one song that juno wants to show mark to be like this is the coolest song ever and it's rad and you're gonna love it it's all the young dudes yeah there, yeah. there's these things about how Juno's presented and you know the, the, there's certainly this vibe at the time that's probably like oh hey Juno's like a, you know for lack of a better term a tomboy mm-hmm. who is not at all like giving off these motherly vibes mm-hmm. but now Juno's a mother 
that's the that's the story. Yeah. But now that there's this trans this this blatant trans read on it, it's like oh. Oh, this this kind of changes a lot of the reads. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of this has now got more meaning that was never intended. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm right there with you, and I, I saw somebody on Twitter uh, say the justification for Juno not getting an abortion is because uh, Juno went to Women Now, where they help women now, and Juno's not a woman. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's cute. I like that. That's really great. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even um, there's even like a cute moment when Juno shows Vanessa and Mark the ultrasound and Mark asks, you know, what is it? And is like, I mean, I guess there's only two options. And Juno's response is like, says you or like something like sarcastic like that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they like joke around about like, you know, the, ha- like the baby's like a mutant or whatever, mm-hmm. which like nobody is a mutant. Like the, I'm just going to say that X-Men are mutants. And Elliot Page is is an X Men, <laughs> so. <laughs> but but that whole scene, like just that response of like says you, it's like that hits so much differently now. Mm-hmm. You know, it hit in a great way when we were all under the assumption that Elliot Page was was a woman, but now knowing like we've been wrong this whole time and r- listening to that, and it's like. Look oh, at all this stuff shit. that's been hiding in plain sight the <laughs> right? whole time. Look at all of these, like, look at all of these sirens telling us what's happening that we just didn't see until now it's in front of us. And it's like, how did we miss this? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so I, I'm really excited to see where, where Juno goes in, you know, the next 10, 20 years. I mean, th- this movie's going to get a fucking like criterion release eventually. So be fucking rad. Cause right? it's, it's a classic. It's, it's great. It's wonderful. It absolutely deserved its Academy Awards and nominations because it's, it's great. I think that it's a, it's a very, very good teen film. And it's also, it's a great part of the uh, coming of age canon. So on that note, Harmony, Juno is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes? The, the person or the movie? The movie. Ah, okay. I know. Those are two different things. <laughs> I feel like the answer would be the same for either. Yeah, good chance. <laughs> but uh, Juno the movie is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or maybe? And are you writing anything on the card on the side back? Realistically, I'm not positive Juno would go to prom. Probably not. Well, I mean, Juno does throw a fucking tantrum about it. So I feel like mm-hmm. it might be one of those instances where Juno like wants to say no, but like, you know that I'm going to say no, but like you still need to ask me. <laughs> I think it's that. Yeah, well, in any case, uh, no, this is an emphatic yes. I have loved this movie since the first time I saw it. I still love it. In my brain, this movie is like one of the definite teen movies of the 2000s. Oh, and it's yeah. not even close. Oh, yeah. Everything about this movie feels like a little indie movie that could. But it was so well done that it was impossible to ignore and became this massive phenomenon within the genre and i i'll just revisit it all the time i it just makes me feel good Mm -hmm. i love these characters i love these scenarios i hate the right people for the right reasons Mm -hmm. i always notice something like a little bit different and a little bit weirder every time it makes me that makes me appreciate it like the power of jennifer garner's facial reaction when she feels the baby kick it's so pure i just Just i just want jennifer garner to have nice things because she seems like this i want jennifer garner to have the best life and i want her to have anything that she wants exactly so yeah no i i i just really love this movie it's still one of my favorite soundtracks i don't know how the moldy peaches felt when they wrote there anyone else but you Mm -hmm. but 
I like to believe that they wrote that and went, oh no, we wrote one of the most romantic, perfect songs ever written. I hope they know it too, because it, it really is. It's a great song. It is so perfect and so gentle and like... That, to me, is not like, you know, I Will Always Love You or something like that, the Dolly version or the Whitney version. It's like, no, that, that that's that's ambiguous. That could be anyone. It's like, this song, this feels specific mm-hmm. and only applies to specific people. And if you feel it, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Awesome. Well, I feel the same way. And thank you for being my bleaker. Oh, you're welcome. I guess you're my <laughs> Juno then. Uh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, that takes us out on Juno for this episode of This Ends at Prom. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom, where we do our uh, Sadie Hawkins mini-sodes where I watch teen boy movies. We just did one on Home Alone, and we did not spend that much time talking about Home Alone. There's not a lot to unpack in Home Alone. <laughs> what What else can be said about Home Alone that hasn't been said already? Like, we talked about it for a little bit, but it was mostly just us talking about family and Christmas and things Chicago stuff and things yeah so it's actually a really nice little discussion so you can pick that up if you you drop a couple bucks you can check that out we also have you know cool perks like our sleepover commentary track where we watch a movie that's not quite a teen girl movie but definitely worth a sleepover listen and it's just a commentary track we time it up so that you can uh, watch the movie and listen to us it's always on something that's currently streaming that month on either netflix or hulu so give that a listen as well as uh, get access to uh, the monthly playlist that Harmony curates for you all, because it's delightful. Oh, crap. I haven't even started the new one. <laughs> we better get on it. Shit. <laughs> um, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. That's also where we will announce what show we're doing for the next week. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor, underscore trap, underscore tour. As always, thank you to the Sounder Bombs for allowing us to use Tidal as our theme music and our exit music. And friends, we will see you in 2021. Oh, that's going to be fun. We have some really, really cool movies lined up for January. We do. It's going to be a blast. And thank you for, for making this first year, um, calendar year. Obviously, we're only on like episode like 18. We're like four months in. Yeah, we're like four months in. <laughs> it's like barely but thank you for making this year. calendar year so wonderful and... Uh, We'll see you on the other side. See you next year. Oh, my God. with you? Are you mean as friends? No. I mean, for real. Because you're like the coolest person I've ever met, and, and you don't even have to try, you know? I try really hard, actually. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.